Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. I hope everyone in the United States that's listening had a happy and safe Thanksgiving this past week. The rest of you, I hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday. My name is Frank Sakari, and you're listening to life-altering events on the VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Now, since we started this show in the end of July, a number of people have asked me, Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? This is what I tell them. A life-altering event can be something we choose or it is something that is thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. Now, everyone's had those aha moments in your life that have changed your life for better or for worse, and these life-altering events occur in every aspect of our professional and our personal life and in our family. Try as we may, it's impossible to completely separate the events in our personal life from the events in our professional life. Those of you who heard this show before understand, I've said this before, believe me, I tried and I failed miserably. What life-altering events present us with is an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference in our own life and the life of our loved ones. There are a fork in the road and we can make a choice. We can either choose to fall apart or we can choose to find the courage, pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. Always remember this. It is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. As you listen to this and enjoy this show over the coming weeks and months and hopefully years, I urge you to think about participating in an upcoming episode. If you have a life-altering event that can inspire others, Visit the Life Altering Events page on voiceamerica.com, click on email the host, and tell me about this event that changed your life so drastically, how you addressed it, where you are now, and how it impacted your life. Now, we'll review it for content, and if it fits well, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, this show has recently been renewed for another 52 weeks. So thank you to our over 16,000 listeners in 13 countries for your support. But now more than ever, I need to hear from you. Let me help you share your story with the world. Today's life-altering event is seizing the moment and living your dream. Now, my friend, best-selling author, speaker, television host, And a guest on a life-altering event, Mel Robbins, often says, excuses will always be there for you, but opportunities won't. I want you to be honest here. Have you ever said, someday I'm going to do whatever? Or, in a perfect world, I would be X. Come on, of course you did. Most of us, however, remain stuck and don't act upon that. Opportunity presents itself to everyone, but not everyone sees or acts upon the opportunity. Why? Why is this? It's too much effort. It's too expensive. I don't have time. I'm too busy. 
I grew up in a small town. There wasn't a lot of opportunity. The list goes on and on and on. Well, my guest today is Tony Vetrano. When he saw an opportunity to, to improve the experience of attending major events, he left his job and started his own business. Now, we all know wedding planners and party planners who started their own business. But what Tony does is plan events on a grand scale. He coordinates events like the Olympics, the Super Bowl, the Daytona 500, and diplomatic events. This is, there, there is, this is more involved than creating a seating chart or arranging for a caterer. From Olympic Games to global diplomatic gatherings, Tony Vitrano brings more than two decades of experience delivering unforgettable events on the world stage. His leadership and entrepreneurship in the world of events, event operations, takes the form of intricate planning and innovative solutions that expand for an expansive network of clients who trust in him runs very deep. Now think about all the moving parts that are required to coordinate an event like this. I can't even imagine the complexity. Can you? We're about to find out. Tony is here to share his experiences with us. Tony Vitrano, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you, Frank. Happy to be here. Tony, tell the listeners what you were doing before you started your company. Well, I had uh, finished uh, university in upstate New York, uh, near where we grew up, and um, chose to do that um, because of health issues that my, my father had at the time when when I was still in high school. When that ended, I moved to Florida. Um, I had had enough of the uh, the Buffalo weather, <laughs> Buffalo area weather. <laughs> and, <why> um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, just really looked for a job. Um, you know, I was excited to be in a new place in sunny Florida. And at the time when I first went, I started working for uh, SunTrust, what is SunTrust now, it was SunBank then, uh, SunTrust Banks in their merchant services department. And uh, that meant that I had to go to businesses that at the time were transitioning into point of sale credit card terminals and help them set up that technology. And this was way back, I'm dating myself, when you know, you'd know present your credit card at a store and they'd do the old swipe uh, thing with the machine and get the imprint. So it goes far, that far back. Um, and while I was there, a friend that I worked with asked if I was interested in working part-time to make some extra money. Well, certainly a college kid uh, fresh out of school with no money was was eager to do that. So I, I jumped at that, and that was working for um, a destination management company uh, that was based in Orlando. And as you pointed out at the start of the show, was focused a little bit more on convention work and, and setting up um, uh, meetings and uh, extracurricular activities for corporations coming in to uh, attend a, a, a convention. And a big part of that was running transport shuttles and things of that nature from the airport and from hotels and to special events. And 
I started doing that on evenings and weekends and, and got a, a real flavor for that. Um, I, it was a, a stark contrast from sitting behind the desk and you know setting up merchant accounts for a bank. I really enjoyed just being boots on the ground, as we call it, and, um, and uh, eventually went to work full-time for that company. And it was while I was there that the opportunity to take the next step occurred. Um, I'd probably been there for about uh, four years and I felt that there was a need for this type of coordination and management in other types of events, not just the convention groups. And with Orlando being a big convention town, I understood that, you know, when I brought this to our general manager at the time and I said, let, let me start a division of this company that would focus on larger scale events, um, sporting events and dignitary events, as you pointed out. Um, and the, the immediate response was, no, 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 you know, this is a convention town. There's no money in that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I it's okay. You know, I kind of took the answer at first. And then um, after probably two or three more attempts, I thought, you know, my, my gut just says there is an opportunity here. And, you know, I, I think what's important to anyone that decides to take that risk and go out and follow a different path, unlike, you know, the traditional, I've got my job and I've got my two weeks of vacation and I've got a steady paycheck and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes I wish that it was that easy for me, but um, there's something to be said for the desire to do something that is non-monetary. Um, if you have a passion for something and you know you're good at it and you go into it with, you know, a pure heart, so to speak, um, you'll succeed. And my motivation at the time was knowing that my dad had been a steel worker and had probably made no more than $20,000 a, a, in a single year in his life and went through the summertime layoffs at the steel plant and would work three other jobs you know, at the grape juice factory and wherever he could on the farms to provide. And um, so for me, there wasn't even the thought of, well, gosh, I have a job and I'm getting a paycheck every two weeks. And what if? For me, it was, well, heck, my dad figured out how to make it work on nothing. So there's no risk here. And maybe that was a little naive on my part. But my motivation also was that, you know, unfortunately, he became ill and passed away when he was 60. And so I thought, you know, rather than work my whole life at something that might enjoy, or maybe it's just my job. Why not go out there and give it everything I have and, and live every day as if I'm not going to work as a, as if I'm just waking up and starting my, my daily life. And that's, that was the motivation at the time. So after two or three times of being turned down, um, I decided to, to go out and, and give it a go. And I reached out to, uh, two or three key people that um, I had known at the time that I thought might have business for me if I did this. 
Um, and one of them was the um, where the guys at the Florida Citrus Sports uh, Organization in Orlando, uh, where I was living at the time. And um, timing was good because I did this right when uh, World Cup 94 was in the United States and Orlando was one of the venues. Uh, so I got an opportunity to do some work with that. Um, and I got an opportunity to do work with the, the New Year's Day bowl game um, that was based in Orlando. And at the time, it was um, not not the game that it is now. I mean, it's it's one of the premier bowls now. And at the time, it was one of those other bowls, you know, the ones mm-hmm. that we talk about now where we say, gosh, how many bowls are there? But, you know, net, since they've signed contracts with the Big Ten and the SEC and, you know, with ABC at the time and now ESPN and, you know, it's it's a big game every year. So those were my two first pieces of work. Um, and um, and that's where it all began and, and where I met people then that, I started to have relationships with that, quite frankly, carried me all the way through to today. Um, I can't say that I've ever been very good at marketing. I'm certainly no good at social media, um, but the relationships that were built from those two first uh, opportunities were were the ones that you know brought me to where we are today. So your first major event when you broke off was still in the Orlando area, and you were doing transportation, correct? Correct. So as you started to see all the other areas that are involved, what was the inspiration to expand? Because you were doing well just doing transportation. Yeah, I I guess there was two sides to that, uh, two reasons for expansion. One was I, I saw how the the cause and effect took place with transportation. So there were so many things that transportation depended upon to get transportation right. And then there were so many things that were affected by if transportation was right. Um, So it started to expand to, well, in, in order for us to effectively transport people from point A to point B and get them to the game and get them to the functions, we got to have an efficient traffic plan. We have to have an efficient parking plan. We have to have an efficient signage plan. We have to have good people on the ground who know how to make uh, decisions on the fly and who are trained and who are put in the right places. And we have to have proper integration with all of the other functions. We call them functional areas in our world. And um, these are things that most people would never see if they went to a Super Bowl or an Olympics. They would just feel the presence, so to speak, or of that success. And so when we are in a management control um, environment, we have representation of every possible function you could imagine, um, all the way up to the likes of Secret Service and FBI and, and the people who secure these events. Um, it doesn't matter if it's transportation, if it's parking, if it's concessions, if it's ticketing, if it's a medical um, assistance, if it's um, sport production, as we call it, which is the entertainment element of it and the people that produce halftime shows. All of those things are intertwined. Um, 
so that was the first of the two reasons. And the second was the fear of becoming obsolete. Um, I, I kind of felt like with anything, if I rested on my laurels of, well, I'm pretty good at this, so I'm just going to stay with this. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have um, clients like the Olympics, like the NFL, and there are hundreds of people that are standing in line behind you that would love to have that opportunity. So if you think that you can just continue to do things the same old way, show up every year and not be a good partner to those clients and just say, hey, great, where's my check? Yeah, you, you won't have longevity. Um, but I'm you know, very proud to say that after uh, 21 years now, um, you know, I still have that type of a relationship with the likes of the NFL. Tony, the Olympics, the Super Bowls, these things have been going on for years and years before you came along. What did you see that others didn't see? Well, you know what, Frank, I, I think, I think I saw some things, but I also think that it was the right timing. Um, Timing is, 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 as I'm sure you'll agree, is, is a lot in life. And um, I think that at the time when, so the first Olympic Games was 1996 in Atlanta that I worked on. And again, timing-wise, we didn't even have a computer for every one of our, our managers. We were, IBM was a sponsor at the time. And they gave one computer for every 10 workforce. Um, so I, I, I started this at a time when change was just around the corner and where being a little bit more sophisticated in the way things were done and planned um, was about to happen. Now, I'll also argue 20 plus years later that sometimes it was I wish we were still back in the days of, well, not everyone has a computer because it made people talk to each other more. Um, and we were able to, you know, collaborate in a, in a much more efficient way at times than, than sometimes we're faced with um, today, you know. But um, that's, what, that's what drove me was, um, um, you know, the, the, the relationships and being able to, collaborate was exciting you know to collaborate and and that 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 sort of generated the environment for new ideas we're just about up for a break here this first segment's going by way too fast stay with us we'll be back with tony vitrano we'll be talking more about how he organizes and coordinates major events around the world you do not want to miss this ladies and gentlemen what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. book frank zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event frank is a dynamic entertaining and fascinating storyteller your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately email frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. 
Frank Sicari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to LifeAlteringEventsRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. We are talking with Tony Vetrano, and he has been going over with us the, where he saw an opportunity to change his life, he sees the moment, and is living his dream. Tony coordinates major events all over the world, and if you've ever been to a major event and you know how complex it is, or maybe you don't know how complex it is, Tony's the man who makes sure you have a good experience. Now, Tony had shared with his, with our listeners some of the some of the um, relationships that he had built with the Super Bowls and the Olympics. But Tony, share with the listeners around the world all the components that it takes to coordinate an event like this, or most of the components. Sure. Um, yeah, and I think that especially when you think about um, Olympics, you know, everyone knows how grand the Olympics is, and it's 17 days of competition. And you'd expect that there's obviously a lot of planning and coordination. Um, but to put it into perspective, uh, the Los Angeles Olympics will be held in 2028. And I'm already doing work on it and have been involved with it since uh, probably 2015. Um, there's, a, there's so much that goes on with preparing a bid for that type of event and all the way through. But I'll use an example from, I guess, the Olympic environment. And these things are all present in everything that we do, including a, a, a Super Bowl. Because a lot of people will think, well, it's it's one day. It's it's a game. You know, it's, it's just like a three-hour, four-hour game on any other Sunday. Um, but there's so many things that have to go into it that uh, are different. Um, obviously, in our world today, security is one main component of that. Um, but I'll use the Olympic environment as an example of many of the pieces that get put together. Um, we will plan um, for several years in an Olympic environment, and each function, as I mentioned earlier, 
will have its own set of operational plans. Um, and then we have to spend time in advance of obviously the games themselves to integrate those plans. Um, so we will sit down and do months and months and months of sessions of readiness assessment, tabletop exercises, as we call them, to ensure that all of those functions are well integrated. So to give an example, um, I always use this one because this is just a little one, but yet there are so many pieces to it that someone might not think about. So in an Olympic environment, um, uh, several athletes are tested at the end of competition. Um, that's just the typical doping requirement. Um, those athletes are escorted to a facility within uh, the, the venue at which they've competed, and they are monitored by the um, World Anti-Doping Agency representative and representative of their country, typically, and their sport um, until they're able to provide a sample. Um, this is something that has so many pieces to it in itself. Um, obviously, with regards to the function of doping itself, but then also when it comes to just transport. What happens if that athlete is unable to produce a sample while still on the venue footprint, um, which happens a lot because they get dehydrated depending upon the sport they've just competed in. So all of these other steps have to be in place. It's, there's a transport system that will move athletes from the athlete village to the competition venue, but that system might end at a certain time post-competition, and now you've still got athletes that are in doping control that have to be transported to the polyclinic uh, within the Olympic Village um, until they're able to produce that sample. So that example in alone um, illustrates all of the moving parts that have to be prepared and ready if A happens, B happens, or C happens. It'd be great if we were able to you know, walk onto the footprint of any event and have everything go exactly the way we had planned it. Um, but it never happens. And that's why it's so important to understand what the other functions of the event are doing other than your own, because what they're doing affects you and what you're doing affects them. Um, going back to the, to the main operations control environment that I've mentioned earlier, um, it is a massive room. Um, I always joke around and say it looks like NASA control. Uh, we've got <laughs> it, it's it's pretty fun to do. It's pretty impressive when you when you get to be in there. There's several things that we're monitoring, um, from weather to traffic to security uh, threats and issues to wait lines at the gate entries, to wait lines at concessions and, and restroom facilities, to incident response of someone who has a medical emergency, um, ticket resolution problems. I could go on and on longer than we have time on this show. But it is a very fast-paced environment, um, and every single function is represented in that room. Now, separate from that room are functions that have to operate in their own command centers, such as um, security. They will have their own separate command center, uh, usually 
traffic control and city operations will have their own, but each of them have representation in each other's control rooms. Um, the London Olympics was a great example of this because they are a city that has one of the most impressive day-to-day control operation centers for everything that they do within the city um, and everything that they do within uh, transport as well as rail. Uh, I, I include that in transport because as everyone knows, the way to get around London is through the tube system and they move, you know, millions of people every day. So to see them convert that into the Olympic environment and to see how well they did it was probably one of the most impressive um, operations I've ever been involved with. So there's just a lot of connectivity of all those things in order for it to all work. How do you get them all to cooperate? It, is there is there this power struggles that occur that you have to mitigate against Tony? Boy, that's a great question. Another another <laughs> another subject we could talk about for at least five or six more of your shows. Um, there's always that, Frank. There's always um, power struggles, people positioning themselves for the next job, wanting to be seen. Um, I think that's another place where I've I've had weaknesses you know I mentioned social media and marketing but I've often wondered when an event is over and it's been successful um, why sometimes my phone wasn't ringing and I realized it was because I wasn't socializing throughout the operation I was rolling up sleeves and getting it done and um, and I've tried to be a little bit more visible in that regard but yeah the power struggles are probably the biggest challenge i mean if you're able to work through the logistics and the steps of the work um anyone could get it done it's time consuming um it is um very rewarding in the end um and it isn't for everybody but um but the power struggles are are the are the hardest part of it um and you go into some cities where you have great cooperation, you have little or no egos involved, and it's a it's a, a, a pleasant experience. Um, and I would have to call out in the Olympic environment. My best experience was in the Winter Games was Salt Lake City, Utah, and in the in the Summer Games was London, England. Um, both of those cities were um, the antithesis to the, the power struggles and the political um, aspirations. Um, there were a couple of people here and there along the way that you had a little bit of a struggle with, but those two cities were so proud of what they were going to produce and so um, dedicated to making it work that I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't name a name, quite frankly, if I had to in either one of them to say that person was all about their themselves. That's amazing. That uh, It's something that occurs in every aspect of life. There are some people who see the mission and let's do the mission, and there are some who look at what's, what's in it for me. Now I have a question for you. How did things change after the 1996 bombing in Atlanta? It's getting a lot of press. There's going to be a TV show or a movie about it fairly soon. How did that change what you had to do? 
Yeah, it, that as well as um, 9-11, because we were in the fall preceding the actual games for Salt Lake City in 2002 when that happened, and there's been a, a whole lot that's changed. Going back to the 96 bombing, um, I'm not sure if people recall, but that took place in the Olympic Park, and the Olympic Park was the one environment that was not secured from an entry standpoint. Um, it was the one place that was meant to be open and free to everyone to come and experience the games, even if you didn't have a ticket to a competition. So with that happening, if you go to any event now, you will see that even if it is uh, an open festival environment like that, you are going to be checked um, before you get into that area. Um, it's it's the same as what we experienced with with nine eleven and how we now go through airports. Um, you know, everything is much more safe and secured than it was in the past. Um, nine eleven was interesting. You know. I still remember to this day, starting my day in, in, in Park City, um, getting up, turning on the TV while I was getting ready, and I see the, you know, the news uh, switch over to the Twin Towers. And um, as I'm sure people of older generations will recall on major events, when Kennedy was shot, for example, that is just one of those things that, you know, we'll all remember where we were and how we felt when it happened. Um, that was very interesting as far as change in our operational environment, because up until then, for a Winter Olympics especially, other than um, passing through a checkpoint maybe at entry to sit in grandstand areas, how do you secure a mountain. <laughs> um, how, how do you secure, you know, the, the course itself where the skiers are, are going to be participating and competing? That's not easy. Um, and so our security department was tasked with uh, a big change. And um, I remember that day, I didn't really know what to do um, because we were asked to, um, you know, not go into the offices that day, but I did go up to one of our sports parks and I ended up sitting there and talking to one of our security people. And, um, we were already speculating on what we had to do, but security was tripled, probably quadrupled and all of a sudden tasked with let's secure a mountain. And, um, and they did it. So that's, that's one of the examples of things that um, really, really changed um, after these types of incidents. Now, we all saw Tony on television, the, the Boston Marathon bombing. Now, that's over a 26-mile course going up and down and all through neighborhoods and what have you. How do you determine an evacuation plan and a contingency plan when you really have no idea where an attack could potentially occur? Yeah, that's, that's always a challenge, and it's part of um, all those months and years of planning. Um, London, again, was a perfect example of where many venues existed within, within residential areas. 
So you do have to have town hall meetings. You do have to meet with the residents. You do have to, just like in, in, in the southeast, where evacuation routes have been established if there's a hurricane, um, that's the type of planning that you've got to do uh, when it comes to um, potential evacuations. You have to have a plan in place for the what if, but as always, if the what if happens, you have to have people who are savvy enough and calm enough to direct people to a plan A or a plan B or a plan C um, if necessary. It, it could be something that's um, not on paper, but has to happen that day because of the way the incident is, is playing out. It's, it's a big challenge. And when everyone says to me, how could you possibly be working on an Olympic seven years before it happens? Well, that's a perfect example of what takes some pretty detailed time and patience to make sure you got it right. Now, as, as, as traumatic and as shocking as the Boston Marathon thing was, as we watched it, because we all saw it live, what was going on, the... The, the abil- I was amazed at the ability to get people out of that area quickly and that there wasn't any more damage uh, or death or people being trampled uh, that you would see in, in a panic situation like that. Yeah, and that, that has to, that's kudos to the likes of Boston PD and speaks to what I just mentioned. Um, most police departments, especially in cities like Boston, New York, Chicago, L.A., uh, Dallas, um, they, they have offices of emergency management. Um, they are prepared for any incident. They've spent hours and days and weeks and months on those evacuation plans. So you, to your point, uh, you, you could see that this just wasn't something that happened and then it was the what do we do moment. It was, all right, we've been trained, we've prepared, let's enact our plan. And to your point, they obviously got people out of there as quickly and as efficiently as, and safely as, as possible. Well, we're coming up on another break here before, and I'd rather take the break now before we get into what a command center looks like and have Tony explain a little bit more of that. So stay with us. We're with Tony Vetrano, and this has been just an intriguing conversation. And the key here is seize the moment and live your dream. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. 
Frank Sicari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We are here with Tony Vetrano, and he coordinates major events, his company, his organization, around the world, the Olympics, the Super Bowl, the G7 summits, things along of that classification and category. He has, he saw an opportunity working in Orlando, Florida, decided that he was going to take a chance, roll the dice, seize the moment, and now he has built an incredibly successful organization and has tentacles all over the world at this point. Um, Tony, we had talked about you talked about all the different things you have to interact with in the last segment, the different the police and the transportation and security and all these other different things. Explain to the listeners what does a command center look like and then how do we interact with all these people? Yeah, command center is uh, as I mentioned earlier, is impressive and sometimes looks like it could be NASA control. You're in a room um, where one complete wall is filled with screens of things that you are monitoring. Um, the most important of those screens is what we call an incident tracking, uh, re- reporting, tracking, and resolution system. Um, it's a pretty intricate technology, um, and that technology is uh, gives the opportunity to each of the functions to report any sort of incident. And then it's within that room that the incident is reviewed, discussed, and attended to. Um, in that room, as I mentioned earlier, there's usually upwards, uh, I'm gonna use the, the London Olympics uh, main operations center control room as the example. We probably had at least 100 people in that room every day. And each of them represented a key element or function of the games so that if an incident was reported as i mentioned earlier we were easily and quickly able to ascertain 
which functions could potentially be affected by it. And then a number of decisions had to be carried out within that room, depending upon what the incident was. Um, If it is something that is minimal, such as a weather issue, well, all right, is the weather issue something that um, could um, uh, hurt spectators? Is Is it severe weather? Will it impact the competition? Do we have to postpone competition? Do we have to cancel competition? And as you can imagine, everything that happens has a huge spider web of effect on all of the things that have to happen thereafter. Um, If it is a competition that has to be postponed, um, what does that mean? How do people get their money back if they want it? When is the competition rescheduled? What's the communication um, uh, protocol for messaging to everyone about that? Um, So many pieces to the pie uh, in that control room. Um, But it is where all functions collaborate and respond. And then we continue to track the issue. If it's something that cannot be immediately resolved, but it's not an issue that is going to impact or threaten the safety of spectators or athletes or anyone else that is in the Olympic venue, then we continue to monitor it and we ensure that it's resolved before we close it out. And then in the after action, we're able each day we have um, wrap up reports and um, debriefs with the International Olympic Committee. Um, and the amount of debriefs that the IOC does with every function is amazing. Um, they do it with main operations. They do it with press operations, with broadcast operations, with transport operations. Um, you know, I, I know that the IOC and sport in general has taken a little bit of of, uh, of a hit with regards to how bids are won and scandals here and there. But what gets lost in all of it is all of the work that goes into um, how these things are produced and, and all of the, you know, the thousands of people that have nothing to do with those scandalous reports and are, are in the trenches, you know, working their tails off every day, making sure that a games goes off. Um, so the control room is, is pretty impressive. It's, um, uh, there's so many elements to it, so much collaboration. There's typically a side room to that control room that is at the, if something is at a critical level, that is an incident, you know, um, to report. And it is a safety issue. For example, um, we would adjourn to a side room and have a smaller group meeting to discuss the impact and what we've got to do to to attend to it. So obviously the the day-to-day things are, well, we're going to have bad weather today. Well, they're out of hot dogs at the concession stands. Uh, there's a pretty long wait at gates one, two, and three. Let's clear that up. And then, of course, the opposite end of that and things that we hope never happen is that, you know, we have something that is life-threatening uh, or safety concerns to the event uh, attendees. Uh, and that goes back to the things, like you said, with, you know, the bombing in, in the 96 games in the Olympic Park. Now, we, you and I had spoke oh, a couple months back about this communication issue. And one of the things that you are bringing out is another product, which I believe you named Fusion, to improve the communication 
I mean, how is that going to improve communication and, and, and provide additional value uh, for the organizations? Well, right now in the control room environment, each function separately communicates and operates with their own workforce in that function. So if I'm in the transport function, I'm communicating with a separate transport command center, and that transport command center is communicating to all of the workforce on the ground that are operating transport systems. So break it down, make it simple. We have athletes being transported, media being transported, spectators. Um, we have sponsor groups and VIPs. They're all being transported with differently planned systems. Um, if there's an incident within any of those operations, right now the communication is the workforce manager or supervisor. Let's say it's an issue with the athlete system. Um, that manager would communicate up to the transport control center, and then the person in the transport control center would communicate, say, with me in the main operations center. While that's happening, that incident isn't visible to any other workforce or any other function. It only then becomes shared when I receive that after that chain of communication has taken place, and then I say, all right, from what I know, I believe that, let's say the incident is there is an accident on one of the highways and the bus containing the volleyball athletes are not going to make it in time for the start of competition. Well, as you can imagine, that now affects many things. It affects game management. It affects broadcast. It affects um, technical officials. There are so many things that now get affected by the fact that volleyball match might not start on time. The timing of that is, I will say, delayed because it has to go through all those pieces before it then gets shared with, let's say, it's broadcast operations. Hey, broadcast operations, athletes are going to be delayed you will not be broadcasting the start of the volleyball match on time. Well, obviously, then they've got to do what they've got to do to fill that time on TV. Um, the Fusion product actually allows, as I mentioned, we are in this room that feels like NASA control. And we have screens that are monitoring a number of things, but we've never had a place in that environment where we can see all things from all functions. Um, and that's what Fusion provides because the workforce will be equipped with um, within their own personal devices. They will be equipped with a login for the Fusion tool, which allows them to do a number of things. And depending upon what type of workforce you are, if you're a concession worker, a ticket taker, or a flagger in the parking lot, it's different with regards to what you're able to access. But now we have immediate eyes on anything that's happening across the functions because workforce can be um, providing these things at a moment's notice and they can share it more quickly. So everyone becomes aware um, that there's an issue at this point as opposed to 
just the affected area and then this ripple effect uh, of, of trying to get the word to everybody else. Is that correct? That's correct. Another real simple example, Frank, is, again, things that people don't think. When we are preparing to receive the teams for arrival at the stadium for a Super Bowl, that little piece in itself is a major coordination. The way it's happened in the past is someone in the room with me might say, how far out are the team buses? Well, they are X. Well, that information comes from several people communicating up to me. And as you can imagine, even if there's a 20-second delay or gap between the time the information began to when I get it to when I share it, that could mean that those team buses are upon us. Now, there are people in the bowels of the stadium that are managing a number of things. They're managing the people that are, are at entry gates. They're managing the people that are doing security control. They're managing the arrival of the team buses. That person, that supervisor right now, has to rely on someone in the control room to say the team buses are three minutes out. And that communication has to first start down on the ground make its way up through several people to me, then I have to tell the person who's going, to commute, who's going to separately communicate with the supervisor in the bowels of the stadium that those team buses are three minutes out. As you can see, that is several steps and several people involved in just that one message. Through Fusion, that supervisor would be able to filter the application on his or her phone and say, all right, I am responsible in this hour of time to make sure I receive the teams and that I get them coordinated. Now I don't have to ask the control room, where are they? I can see them myself and I can do my job without having to ask for direction from the control room. That's impressive. That is impressive. Now we're getting close to the end of the show here. Ladies and gentlemen, let me share something with you. Tony and I grew up in the same small town in Dunkirk, New York. In fact, Tony was in, in class with my brother Steve and with our guest last week, Tom Crea. And this is a little town just outside of Buffalo. Great people, great people, but not a lot of opportunity. Yet, Tony saw the lack of opportunity there and went out and found his own way, seized the moment, and has changed his life. I want to share something Steve Jobs said. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life, and don't let the noise of others' opinion drown out your inner voice. Most important is have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. They already know what you truly want to become. So I want to thank Tony Vitrano for being on our show today. We're just about out of time. This was a very inspiring show, Tony. And as I say every week, no matter what life throws at you, I want you to do three things. I want you to look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Start moving forward, and better times and better people will come into your life. If you want additional information about Tony Vitrano, his company, the Fusion Product, and other events, please send me an email at, at uh, email the host on the voiceamerica.com channel, and I'll make sure it gets to him. If you've missed any of this show or any of our other events, you can listen to them on demand in about two hours at a number of different places, including now iHeartRadio and Alexa, who has recently picked up the show. Let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The key to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And Tony Vitrano shared 
with all of you around the world where those rocks are. Thank you, and join us again next week. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.